We've had a full service today already. I hope you can hear me. I baptized my previous microphone up there. So it stopped. But is this one working? All right, just the blue one. I'll plan to use it, but I'll use this one until then. Um, so I understand if you need to get up and use a restroom or take... And, um, and hopefully we got it all figured out. Am I good? All right. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we've been blessed so far. I pray that your word would speak to us just the way we need to be spoken to this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with that word association game. If you've ever played this game, I'm going to say two words and you think of whatever other words or images you associate with these. So the two words are home and exile. So with home, I associate warm food, a comfortable bed, and family, and pajama pants. <laughs> yeah, there's an association. With exile, I associate things like slavery, abduction, um, harsh situations, loneliness, um, feeling hopeless. And when we look at the entire human experience, it is more exile than home. So we were created and given a home in this perfect garden, and then sin exiled humanity from that garden, and we're on this planet, which was intended to be our home, but it is a fallen system. And we are promised a new home when it's remade, and so our entire experience is one of not feeling quite at home. And we're going to find some hope in that exile today. Rather than pretending that this is home and everything is good, I invite you to take your exile experience and ask God to give you endurance and strength because life is tough. And we have a mini uh, narrative of our general exile found in the book of Daniel. Because in Daniel there are people brought into exile and their story is so insightful into our big story. So this little story in, in, of the Hebrews going into Babylon has so many lessons for us to learn about our experience in a fallen world when we have hearts longing for the home of heaven. So maybe you're already thinking of the points in your life that are tough right now, that are difficult, that feel like an exile. Let God minister to you through this story. Babylon and Jerusalem are cities of high contrast. So Jerusalem was home for the Hebrews. Nebuchadnezzar surrounded them and there was a couple sieges and then they were taken the best and the brightest to Babylon. So Jerusalem was home, Babylon was exile, and Scripture paints these two pictures in about as extreme contrast as you could. And in those, we also see spiritual realities of us living for a new Jerusalem in a fallen Babylon. So here are a few of the contrasts that you might pick up from the story. Jerusalem is first mentioned as Salem, and it is the home of Melchizedek, and his name means king of righteousness. 
And Babylon is first mentioned as Babel, and it is the kingdom of Nimrod, whose name means, let us rebel. High contrast. Jerusalem is the location of the temple of God, and it's the center for worshiping God. Jerusalem, uh, Babylon is home of, they think, about 955 false temples to false gods, and the center for pagan worship. Jerusalem is the eternal, perfect city that God has prepared for us. And Babylon is a false religious system that is fighting for the worship of the whole world. High contrast between these two cities. And what we're going to do is we're going to stop at four different prayers and look at the insights we get from these. I got this idea for this message when I was taking a class on the book of Daniel, and the professor said, there are seven prayers in the book of Daniel. And then he went on and didn't highlight what they were. So I looked for them and I could not find seven. But I did find some significant prayers. And what we're going to see is from the problems they faced and the prayers they prayed, we see some of our problems and we see some of the prayers we could pray. So go to the book of Daniel chapter 2. We're going to stop in chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 6, and chapter 9. And in each of those, we're going to look for insights into our exile. How can we endure an experience where we're not home in a way that would honor God and give endurance to our hearts? So Daniel chapter 2, there is a problem. And they pray about it. The first prayer comes in verse 17 and 18. We don't actually have the words that were prayed in this prayer. But in verse 17, it says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So he made a matter known to them and said, Seek God. And we know when they sought God, if you read down to verse 33, the thing they were seeking is that God would reveal the interpretation of the dream to them so they wouldn't die. When he made the matter known, he was making known bad news. Have you been in that situation where you're the one who gets to make a matter known and it's not a good thing? Well, the matter he was making known is, I'll summarize it. If you look back through the story, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He goes to the wise men and says, tell me the dream and the interpretation. They say that's impossible and he says, well, you need to do it, and that's a lot of pressure because it's from the king. This is an impossible demand. Then he adds to the pressure by saying, and if you don't, I'll tear you limb from limb and make your house a pile of rubble. So they were really stressed. And when Daniel is brought into the situation, he's actually not brought in to interpret the dream. They knock on his door to take him away to ex execute him. And then he says, wait a minute, why is this so urgent? I think we need to slow this down. And he gets some time and he goes and prays. So the matter he's making known is, if we don't tell the king the interpretation of the dream we don't even know, we're going to die. And here is the insight from the problem that we can relate to, is that our exile makes impossible demands. Can you relate? There are things on your calendar you can't get to, and things on your to-do list that you'll never get done. There's responsibilities pulling us in so many directions. There are things that we'd like to do that we simply just don't have the 
strength or ability or knowledge or wisdom because they are impossible. They're impossible demands. There are some things that technically could be possible, but maybe to do them would violate a moral conviction you have. So they are not possible for you to do and to keep your faith the way that you want to keep your faith. Our exile makes impossible demands, and it never stops. There'll be more and more and more things that you're asked to do. So what do you do when your experience in exile makes an impossible demand? Well, here's what we could do. Here's the risk. Is that we could try to cope in really destructive ways. Because when I am faced with impossible demands, it feels overwhelming. And I try really hard, and then I get exhausted. And so then I turn to some things that take me to a really bad place because I'm trying to do something that's just impossible. Well, that's not what we should do. But there's a risk we could do that. And here's what Daniel and his friends did. They made the matter known to God. They prayed, but first they admitted that it's impossible. We see in Daniel when he goes before the king, the king says, do you know the interpretation? And he says, no, it's impossible for anyone to have the interpretation, but my God knows it. And there's something liberating about admitting that the impossible is impossible. You hear that? If something in your life is impossible, you'll wear yourself out trying to do it. But it is liberating to recognize I don't have the strength or the energy or the money or the patience or whatever it is to do this. I need help. And they prayed to God, and they prayed to a God who is able, and a God who shares his ability. You'll see that in the prayer. Verse 20 says, Then Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He has wisdom and might. It says later, He knows the deep and hidden things. He can see what is in the dark. So God has it. He has the ability. And then in verse 23, it says, to you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to me the king's matter. So God didn't only have the ability and the wisdom, he gave the ability and the wisdom. Specifically, what they were needing is divine revelation. There might be something in your life, remember Babylon, um, I don't think I actually read that bullet point. But Babylon means confusion. There might be in something in your life that you don't have the wisdom for. You believe God actually reveals things? God actually has the knowledge and the desire to share that knowledge with us. Maybe you need divine revelation in something that is confusing you in your life. Maybe you need supernatural strength to do something in your life. And that's the option that Daniel and his friends tapped into. So the prayer inside is that God is able and he gives us the ability we need. Now, interestingly, the Babylonian wise men, they also believed their gods were able. They didn't believe their gods were willing to share. So go back to verse 11. And when they're protesting against the king's demands, it says, The thing the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods. So they believe their gods actually were able. No one can show it to the king except the gods. Here's the difference. They said, No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Aren't you glad you have a God who's willing to dwell 
with flesh. The difference between the Babylonian God and the God of the Hebrews is that they both believed their gods were able, but our God is willing to come down low and interact with humanity in a way that brings us salvation. So in your impossible demands, whatever they are, embrace the truth that God knows. He sees right into the darkness, the place that you are stressed out about, and he also loves to share the ability you need. Last night, I was really blessed by just praying through these prayers. I paused and prayed through this sermon, and I realized how powerful it is. And, and one of the things I decided at that moment is I want to do that with you. So after, as we get to the end of each prayer, I want to pray this. So I invite you, we're going to pause several times in the middle of the sermon, we're going to pray. Bring your impossible situations to God as I pray right now. Father in heaven, we trust that you know the very thing that is impossible for us to know. We trust that you're able when we're completely unable. And we trust that you share that ability and that knowledge. And pray for the person right now who feels completely overwhelmed, completely stuck in an impossibility that they just have incredible hope right now that you are a God who knows and shares. We praise you that we have that option even in the difficulty of our exile. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the next prayer is in Daniel chapter 4. This prayer is different because all other prayers I'm sharing this morning are prayed by Daniel. This prayer is prayed by Nebuchadnezzar. So the story is very similar to chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. This time, he shares the dream. He remembers the dream. He shares it with Daniel, and he calls Daniel to interpret it. Again, God gives the revelation to Daniel. The previous dream had Nebuchadnezzar coming out as the head of gold, and this dream has Nebuchadnezzar coming out as a wild animal who eats grass for seven years. So one of them was a high and exalted interpretation. This one is actually the opposite. There's a warning at the end of the interpretation that says, turn to God. Maybe he will change some of these things. But Nebuchadnezzar struggles. And his pride comes back in the situation. If you begin in chapter 4, verse 29, we'll read a bit of what he did after the dream was given. It says, at the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king said and answered, is this not great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? His pride came back. And right then it says, if you continue, that's when the prophecy came about that he actually lost his reason and became like a wild animal. And here's the lesson for our exile in chapter 4, is that our exile is infected with a love of the glory of the world. The problem is pride and materialism and self-focus and adoration of the glittering things of this world are constantly threatening our well-being. They're seeking to get our affection and our love. The godly desires that were put in you at creation Satan is wanting to hijack for something way less glorious. So that is the problem we face in our exile, is every day 
there is a call to your affections to give glory to something that is not God. And it's destructive. So what do we do? Well, we could give ourselves into the love of this world, to the pride of life, or we could, like Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of seven years, see the glory of God. And this prayer comes in verse 34 and 35. I'll read his prayer. This is after the seven years. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven, and nothing in the inhabitants of the or and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can say to his hand, or say to him, What have you done? And then it's at that same time it says his reason returned. I want to focus on three three important steps in verse 34. It says, I lifted my eyes to heaven. Now this is before his reason returns. Lift your eyes to heaven. And when he lifted his eyes to heaven, he wasn't even praising God. He was just lifting his eyes to the things of God. When he did that, it says, my reason returned to me. So if you're in a situation in your exile where the glory of the things of this world or your own pride has held you captive, just lift your eyes to heaven. Maybe you don't even have a prayer to utter. Just take your focus and move it to the things of God. Take it off of self and off of whatever other idol might be in your life and just push it to the things of God. And what happens when you do that is your reason returns to you. When we are in love with the world and we worship the world, it's only because we don't have any reason in our mind because God is infinitely more glorious. So when we turn our attention to God, our reason returns. And then the third thing in verse 34 is, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. When our reason returns, we give glory to God. And so here's the prayer insight. Focusing on God's glory puts everything else in its proper perspective. So you know how we fight the war of pride and materialism and the glory of the world? We fight it with a greater glory. We fight the attacks of the world by focusing on the glory of something bigger. It is worship that is actually the counterattack to pride. When pride comes into my life, worship, like we've done this morning, lets me see a God so much more beautiful, so much more glorious, that I delight to put myself under his authority. So it is looking to a greater glory that protects me against the glory of this world, which is trying to get me off track in our experiences in this exile. So this is the lesson from chapter 4. And as we go to chapter 6, a very familiar story. This is Daniel in the lion's den. And at the very beginning of the chapter, we hear the story that Babylon is now ruled by a Persian power. And when the transition happened, Daniel was promoted. And some people in the kingdom didn't appreciate Daniel being promoted, so they looked for ways to attack Daniel. They couldn't find any, because it says in the text that there was an excellent spirit within him. And they only found faithfulness. So then they thought of something, a very clever idea. They said, there's one way we can get this man to fail. It's if we make 
a law against the law of his God. Wouldn't you love to have such a reputation in this world where people knew that there's only one way they could find wrong in you, and the only thing they could find wrong in you is that you loved God more than you loved anything in this world? That's where Daniel was. The only way they could find fault is he'll be more loyal to his God than to this king. So they set up a situation like that. See, they didn't actually care if Daniel worshipped his God. Babylon was a religion of syncretism. They synchronized religions and they said, that's great. If you worship your God, you worship your God. What they cared about was supreme loyalty to the king. So they said, Daniel, you can worship your God, but for this 30-day period, you can't make petition to any other God but the king. And Daniel couldn't do that. And they knew Daniel couldn't do that, so they're looking for a way to find fault. And then he prays the prayer that was read for us in verse 10. So here's the insight from the problem. It's true of our exile. Our exile uses religious persecution to take down the faithful. If you want to love Jesus and you want to love him to the end, you can be sure this world is going to make it hard for you. And maybe you're experiencing that right now. The devil is not, he's not afraid to stoop to the level of attacking you on the very things that, that are your morals and commitments to God. And so that's what happens for Daniel. And then the prayer comes and verse 10 is loaded with insight. So I'm going to go through verse 10 a little slow. Verse 10 is an amazing prayer. This is how we pray when the world uses religious persecution to attack us. Verse 10 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So, was he ignorant of the document? It was actually the very fact that the law was made that made prayer more necessary. It was when he knew, the first thing he did was he went and disobeyed it because he knew he needed the power of God to be faithful in religious persecution. So when he knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house and had his windows opened in the upper chamber toward Jerusalem. So his windows actually faced the temple in Jerusalem. And we can take this lesson into our life. We don't have, maybe, I don't know which direction Jerusalem is from here right now. But you can open the windows of your life to heaven. Do things that make it tangible that you're looking to your homeland. Maybe it's looking up at night into the sky, or maybe it's taking time in the morning to close your eyes and imagine God's throne in heaven, or just to pray to heaven or get on your knees. But tangible things, practices in your life that actually open the windows of your life and give your attention to your homeland. We belong somewhere else. He opened his windows to heaven, or to Jerusalem, and said he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God. It's interesting that from the text, we actually don't see any evidence that he broke the, the law. Because their law was, you can't make petition to any other king, and the content of his prayer was, thanks. So whatever it was, they thought it was close enough. But here's the point. He is praying, knowing that the very act of prayer is going to get him thrown into a lion's den. And the content of his prayer is thanking God. Praise is a weapon. Because we see the power of God when we acknowledge it and thank him for it. So in your difficulty, maybe the worst thing you're going through right now, the hardest struggle you have at work or in your home, 
pray about that thing, and don't forget to praise God for his goodness in that situation. Because you know there's actually worse things than being thrown into a lion's den. Dying is not the worst thing that can happen to us. So Daniel is looking at this lion's den and saying, that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is that I would let something like religious persecution separate me from the God I love, who I'm going to spend eternity with. So if you want to throw me in the lion's den, I'm going to thank God, because in the worst of my situations, one thing is true. God is still good. God is still worthy of worship. So he thanks God. And then it says, he, he thanks God as he had previously done. So when religious persecution comes, that's not the time to then start worshiping God. Uh, You can do it. But the time to start worshiping God is right now, so that when it comes, you have a previous practice of bowing before God. It is something you've incorporated into your life, and you know He's good. Start right now. Don't wait until they say you can't worship God to start worshiping God. So Daniel is finding in religious persecution a God that is faithful. And here's the lesson we learned from his prayer. Because he didn't know if God would rescue him from the lion's den. Just like his friends in chapter 3, he he thought, God is able to, but even if he does not, I'm not going to worship any other God. And so here's the prayer insight. Staying faithful is more important than staying alive. you believe that? And when I say faithful, I mean staying in love with God. Faithful does not mean I have to do these little tasks to satisfy an angry God. Faithful means my love for him is supreme. Higher than any king's commands, higher than any um, acceptance in a worldly way, my faithfulness is I love him more than anything else. So staying in love with God, staying faithful is more important than staying alive. So I already broke my word of I'm going to pause and pray, so I missed a prayer. So I want to pause and pray the prayer of chapter 4. In the prayer of chapter 6, would you pause with me and pray these prayers? Father in heaven, I thank you for the reminder that pride destroys. And I pray for every one of us whose affections have been drawn to something else this week, that you would expose them as frauds. And you would point us to your glory. And that as we see your glory... We would want nothing more than that. I pray for the pride in our lives. I pray that we would see you as so beautiful that we would be content to give you all the praise and to not take it for ourselves. Father, it is a constant attack of our exile, and I pray that you would be seen as the most beautiful in our lives. And I pray for religious persecution. We see it in our world today. We feel it. I pray that we would have a heart that believes that staying faithful is more important than staying alive. I praise you for stories I've heard even this week about you being faithful and defending people's moral convictions. And I pray that we would cherish those miracles as they come. And when they don't, that we'd hold on to you no matter what is taken away. Give us a love for you above everything else, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And there's one more prayer. This one's Daniel 9. And this one has a short story and a long prayer. The the story is 
in verse 2, I'll summarize it, Daniel was reflecting on the prophet Jeremiah, and he realized he's in Babylon, and he realized that they have a 70-year prophecy before they can return to Jerusalem. So two things. He realized that's a long time, and he realized we're getting close to that time. So he's praying about this because he realizes that they're at a place where they could actually experience this prophecy being foretold in their life, that they could go back to Jerusalem. And so the lesson we learn is our exile is long, but the return is soon. So the exile is long, and you know what the danger of that is? When experiences get long, we get sleepy. When the church service goes to 1235, when you're on a road trip this long, you need to have someone with you to make sure you keep your eyes open. So when experiences get long, we get sleepy. And we see that in Daniel's prayer. He's living among Hebrews in exile, and he's looking at them, recognizing so many of them have spiritually fallen asleep. So we see in his prayer an urgency and a posture of crying out to God. I'll summarize it because it's long, it's beautiful. Read the whole prayer in Daniel chapter 9. But one of the things we see is confession. It says he went and made confession. And in verse 3 it says that he took sackcloth and ashes and his, his whole posture was repentant. And he said things like, to you, God, belong righteousness, but to us belongs open shame because we've sinned against you and we've not listened to you and not obeyed you and we've rebelled and not kept the covenant. So his, his heart was one of confessing. It'd be good for us, church, to come before God with broken hearts in confession. And then he recognizes God's goodness. He says, you've been faithful. It says, to you belong forgiveness and mercy. You're a good God. And then he makes requests based upon God's goodness. He says, I'm asking for grace, not because we have been good, but because you are merciful. And he comes to God saying, because of your goodness and for your great name, bring us back to life. And here's the, the lesson we take from it, is that we combat, I use that word as a strong word, we combat spiritual sleepiness with urgent prayer for spiritual awakening. Is that what you need in your heart? So we're in exile, and the thing is, Jesus is coming soon. Do you believe that? Like very soon, we're going to celebrate Sabbath worship together, and it's going to be in our heavenly home. But right now we're here, and it's getting very long. And we feel it getting long when we gather for funerals. We feel it getting long when we hear of people going through very difficult situations, when we see our children struggling, when we see our parents struggling, when our marriage is struggling. We feel the length of it, and the, the risk right here is you're going to get sleepy. You're going to say, this is taking so long, you're just going to get into the rhythm of your week and the rhythm of your year, and everything's going to keep going. And here's what God wants us to do. In our exile, this is not home. He does not want us to fall asleep. He even gave us a parable that talks about these virgins with lamps. And he says, some of them fell asleep and they ran out of oil and they weren't ready. So what we do to combat spiritual sleepiness is we have urgent prayer for spiritual awakening. Is your heart pulled in that direction a bit? 
Do you want to fall on your knees and confess to God, we have sinned and we want to be right before you. We don't want to be asleep. We want to be awake. That is the appropriate posture of prayer in spiritual Babylon. So I want to pray this prayer for us. And then we're going to end with a song. And this song is a holiday-themed song. And you'll hear, you'll hear images of home in this song. Windows with candlelight. And uh, comfort of the holiday season and the Christmas message. And I invite you to think about home as we sing this song. What do you associate with the words home and exile? I hope when you hear the word exile that you associate some serious problems you need some help with. But I also hope that when you hear home, you think of a soon coming Savior who's about to take you there, who has ability and wisdom and knowledge to get you through every problem that comes. And we celebrate that we're going to be home soon. We hold on through the difficult, long exile and look forward to home. So let's pray this prayer together. Father in heaven, we recognize that the exile is long. We're weary, we're tired, but we're not going to fall asleep. Stir in our hearts brokenness and repentance and desire and discontentment with the way things are right now that we would need more of you. Show us that we are not as rich and well-off as we might think, but that we are in desperate need of the grace of God. And I pray that we would turn to you with that urgency and that desperation, and that we would be a church of people who are awake. And I pray now as we close in song that we could continue to worship, that you would touch our hearts and we could express our desires to live in you together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.